Well, what a week it has been in the world of football. We saw the start of the European Super League, and just like that, it crumbled. Fans back in the stadium at the League Cup. Football is returning to normal. Except, is it? There's some big changes that have been made by UEFA on the sly, which we will get into because I'll be honest, they're not great. I'm Ross Evans, and always with my, I'm here with my co-host Dan Newton. Hello. And before we get into that, we're going to start off with two of the big teams uh, who were involved in the European Super League, as some of you might have heard at the end of the podcast. When it came to the League Cup final, Manchester City and Spurs. We really didn't give a toss about the result. Um, not all of it's forgiven. Obviously, the owners are still heavily, you know, being heavily criticised. There's protests against all the owners. There's, you know, rumours of Arsenal uh, being bought out. Um, pretend people want Enoch out of Spurs. So, with all that going on, was there any surprise? Having just sacked Jose Mourinho, were you surprised to see Spurs lose, Dan? Um, not really, no. I think... I think even with Mourinho, it's always going to be difficult for them. Um, I think maybe they would have had a slightly better chance of him, but, you know, it was a difficult game. Um, Man City were clearly the better side. Spurs kind yeah. of parked the bus, but to be honest, they didn't do it very effectively. I think, you know, Man City obviously won 1-0, but I think it easily could have been 3 or 4, especially in the first yeah. half. Yeah, I'm Manchester City were dominant for, the especially, as you say, especially the first half. It, it looked like they turned up to a training ground exercise for attacking play. Um, they just weren't quite there with the final ball. You know, some of the chances that they created that they should have scored. Um, I've got to say, Hugo Lloris put in a fantastic performance in the Spurs net. Yeah, he did, yeah. And there were some good blocks as well from the Spurs defenders. But, I mean, watching it, it looked more like a like a fourth-round tie where you see a Premier League team against, like, a, a League One team or something like that. You know, it... Honestly, it didn't look like two sort of top six teams going at it. You know, Man City were definitely the better side. And I think it was always going to be a case of how many. Um, obviously, in the second half, yeah. it uh, was a little bit closer. Uh, but ultimately, the, to be fair, the goal they conceded was pretty poor from Spurs. You know, you shouldn't concede yeah. from a corner with Laporte completely unmarked. That's just, you know, amateur defending. But yeah, Man City clearly deserved to win. And I think that's what, four in a row, something like that in League Cup ties. Yes, yes, yeah, their fourth League Cup in a row now. Uh, you may have seen on Instagram that Alexander Zinchenko has been counting them. So, um, yeah, it was a tough game for Spurs fans to watch. I think the team never really got going at all. Um, a couple of incidents we'll have to talk about, of course. First of all, we'll just say the refereeing performance in that game. When it was the referee's uh, first Cup final, but it showed. He, he had a shocker. Yeah, he did, yeah. And I think that's a couple of cup finals in a row. You know, if you look at the FA Cup and the League Cup, where there's been some pretty poor refereeing in both of them um, for a while now. Yeah. So I think clearly there needs to be um, a lot more done to improve the refereeing in cup finals. And, well, if people listen to the show enough, they'll know that there needs to be a lot of work done in general with VAR and everything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely yeah. it showed. I think Laporte definitely could have had the two yellows in the first half. Obviously, yeah. What you would say is, if he got the first yellow, we probably wouldn't have made the second challenge to get a second yellow. Um, it's one of those kind of things. Uh, but definitely uh, poor refereeing overall. Yeah. I mean, I guess the lack of that first yellow card for Spurs fans, that's what makes 
it's probably sting even more that Laporte scored the winner. Um, but as you say, you know, had he got the yellow card in the first place, he doesn't make the second challenge that he did get a yellow for. Um, but you know, that's that's one of those. Things. Do you, are you surprised that the referee didn't manage to show any consistency? Like, considering you know, we say that Premier League referees are and sort of the footballing world, at least only a couple of years ago, considered Premier League referees some of the best in the world, if not the best. Are you surprised at how poor, like in general, regardless of VAR, just how poor Premier the standard of refereeing at the top level in England at the moment is? Um, am, am I surprised? Uh, not really. I, I think, you know, we've kind of gotten used to it over the last two or three years. I think there's been a real steep decline in the quality of refereeing. Um, obviously, it's disappointing. Like I said, a couple of years ago, we did have some really good refs. But, um, yeah, there are very, very few are left now. I think, you know, there's a reason a lot of English refs don't really do the bigger European finals now. Is that I think the quality in general has just dipped and I think everyone's kind of aware of it. Um, yeah. How how you fix that? I don't really know. Um, maybe better training. Maybe you know, get some foreign refs in. You know, yeah, the, yeah. all those things should be considered. But no, it is disappointing, especially in the cup final. You know, because if if it was a case of he had an even harder decision to make, you know, with like a red card or a penalty, and he got it wrong, and it cost you the game, then then it's an even bigger story. Um, but fortunately, yeah. it was just kind of irritating, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, just a few sort of counter attacks that were broken up. There was, I think, Fernandinho fouling. Uh, I want to say it was Lucas at one point, and there was also no card shown for it when he clearly stepped across him. Um, and it, it, yeah, it did baffle me watching that game. Um, but more on Spurs. Obviously, we said they sacked Mourinho on uh, Monday, just gone, um, six days before a cup final bringing in Ryan Mason, who has no managerial experience. Uh, first of all, the appointment of Mason, do you think that was a good decision by the Spurs authority, or do you think that that's, that was almost a panic situation there? I think it's just, uh, you know, they need someone just to tide him over to the end of the season. I think he was already involved with the youth team, I think. I think he was managing maybe the under-23, something like that. I think it's yep. just an easy appointment. You know, they can take the time picking the, the next manager. It's a bit like um, also Solskjaer when he first got the United job. Obviously a little bit different because he was uh, managing off in Norway. But um, I think yep. it's a similar kind of thing. You just get a former player in who is coaching and just have them do it for the rest yep. of the season. And, you know, if it goes well for him, maybe you could get the job permanently. But I suspect he'll probably end up back in the under-23s. I think it's maybe a bit too early for him considering he's only, yep. what, like 29, something like that. I think yeah. there's, you know, a lot of players in that Spurs team that are older than him. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's just one of those just to keep him ticking over, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it Spurs seem to follow this trend at the moment in the big European teams, especially where former players are taking over as managers or in management roles and sort of getting blooded as managers at their old teams. You know, we saw Ryan Giggs had a management stint at Manchester United. Uh, Zidane went from the Real Madrid uh, reserve team into the main team. Uh, Frank Lampard's second job, he went from Derby after a season to Chelsea. Um, Andrea Pirlo at Juventus. Do you think that Spurs would have been better served of just sticking with Mourinho to the end of the season? There's five games left in the cup final. Should they have just seen it out with Mourinho and then made try to make the change in the summer? Do you think that would have 
probably been kinder to the Spurs players as well. I think so. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mourinho. Um, I know he probably isn't the manager that he once was, but, you know, I'm still a fan of his. And I think, yeah. you know, if you've got a cup final, who would you want, Mourinho or Ryan Mason? You know, Ryan Mason may go on to be a fantastic manager, but he doesn't have the experience of those big games that Mourinho has. You know, I think even as a player, Ryan Mason probably didn't play in many finals. Um, so you think Mourinho, was, you know, he's been there, he's won games. He has a, a pretty decent record against Guardiola. I think they even beat Man yeah. City at, um, at the early part of this season uh, with Spurs. Yeah. So there's definitely pre- uh, precedent there that he could have actually gotten together and won the game. And considering how poor Spurs have been in terms of winning trophies, I think you would just you got to give him a shot in that one-off game. Sure, if he doesn't win it, then maybe you sack him. I think they would have sacked him at the end of the season regardless. I think he's yeah. probably a bad fit for Spurs. Um, Mourinho, yeah. that is. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's just strange. I think everyone will look back and go, yeah, he probably should have got that cup final. Yeah, I mean, Mason himself, you know, we say as a manager, maybe lacking a bit of experience. I thought his choice to substitute Lucas Moura was odd, considering Lucas had probably been Spurs' best player, which, apart from the goalkeeper, they're all pretty crap. So it wasn't, you know, it's not a big award to be Spurs' best outfield player. But taking Lucas off when he was getting the ball and trying to drive Spurs out, I was a little surprised to see him come off. And I thought maybe that showed just a little bit of Mason's inexperience, perhaps a little bit of naivety. Yeah, and there's other ones like bringing, I think, Sissoko on instead of Ndombele when I think Spurs needed a goal. You kind of look at that and you think, well, Ndombele's a much more creative midfielder. Um, I'm surprised he doesn't start, to be honest. I'm a big fan of his. Um, yeah, but I think Mourinho did those things as well for Spurs. There were some odd substitutions um, towards the end of his time there, and it, you know I think it just I think Spurs aren't a great squad to be honest. So you know I, I think yeah. those decisions are difficult, uh, especially in a cup yeah. final, and they don't have the best options. But um, no, I, I agree. I think definitely lacked experience. But um, you know, like I said, I hope he goes on to do really good things. Um, but I think definitely far too early for him. Yeah. Um, one other thing that we did also see in the League Cup final was uh, fans back in the stadium. We had a, a attendance of just under 8,000 as a tester for you know, fans returning to uh, watch football live uh, while still being COVID safe. And one thing I did notice, it was fantastic to be able to listen to actual crowd noise instead of this generic man in the room pressing a button. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I hate the fake crowd noise. I always turn it off if I can. It just sounds yeah. strange. I'm really not a fan of it. But um, no, like I said, brilliant to have fans back in. Um, I, I remember probably three or four months ago, you know, when they were starting to get fans back in initially, I am um, you know, lucky enough to go see a couple of games with fans in them. Uh, and it was, it was brilliant. And um, definitely yeah. back uh, with a League Cup final uh, with fans in. It's, you know, it's what you want. It's what football's about. It all yeah. comes out to the fans, really. You know, it's it's nothing about them, and it's I mean, definitely just way more entertaining to listen to. I think you know, yeah. even just the ironic cheers of someone you know slipping over was probably the highlight of the League Cup final for me. Yeah, I mean, as well, just hearing fans, you know, if a shot is close, like Mara's had a couple, and the right reaction being played 
you know, an actual genuine reaction from fans as opposed to, you know, the guy at the soundboard, he presses a button for goal, realises it's going to be a save and has to quickly change it halfway through. You know, just little things like that, just quality of life changes, I think is the best way to refer to it. It, just, it, was, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And hopefully it's, a, you know, a sign of things to come. Yeah, and hopefully the return of fans to stadiums is something we're going to see maybe in, I think they're planning on doing it in the last couple of games in the Premier League as well. Um, We're going to see, I think it'll be fans of the home team only, just because of travel restrictions. Um, But hopefully we are going to now see the return of fans to stadiums on a wider scale. and Hopefully at the start of the next Premier League season, will be in a position to get a few more in and that you know it's going to be massively beneficial for all clubs throughout the footballing pyramid yeah definitely it's it's been a big miss but um hopefully we're all on our way back now yeah yeah it certainly will be but speaking of things that maybe aren't to the benefit of the footballing pyramid or the worldwide just the world of football in general um while we were all busy arming the fight against the European Super League, UEFA were a little bit sly by sliding in a new Champions League format that's starting in 2024. Dan, have you heard about this? Uh, A little bit, yeah. I think I I briefly mentioned it in the podcast last week when we talked about the Super League, but I think you have maybe the better details on what the actual changes are going to be. Yeah, now... We, myself and Dan have gone through them and we don't see all that much difference from the ESL except that the big clubs, it's not explicit that they're going to be protected. Um, it's kind of implicit. You can work it out by reading. So what we'll do is we'll take you through the new format um, and we're going to think about maybe potential benefits uh, or almost certainly what are the drawbacks to this, not just to the Champions League and to fans, but to the other European competitions as well. What we want to do is let us know what you think on Twitter. As always, our Twitter handle at Armchair Managers will be in the description of this podcast. So do let us know what you think about because it's something that uh, Ilkay Gundogan has already come out and um, tweeted about. Um, I was a little bit disappointed to see the reaction to that, considering how fans banded together to take on the ESL. But, you know, there was suddenly back to the old, oh, you're a footballer, you're money. It's, you know, you get paid to play, so get on with it. Um, but we'll, I'll take you through it and we'll see what you think. So, traditionally, the Champions League at the moment has a 32 team competition. That is going to be extended to 36 teams. And instead of a group stage, it will be one 36-team league in which each team is guaranteed to play 10 matches against similarly seeded opposition. Now, each team will be seeded based on historic performance. Um, after the end of those 10 games, you get five home games and five away games, which already is almost is doubling the length of the group stage. Uh, the top eight in the league will qualify automatically the straight through to the last 16. Now, to play, to fill the rest of those spots, the next 16 teams will be paired off into playoff matches with the winners joining the top eight automatic qualifiers in the last 16 proper. 
Uh, from there, it will follow a the traditional knockout pattern, uh, last 16, quarters, semis, final. Um, but as you might have worked out, there's four new places being added into the Champions League. Now, how are these going to be used, uh, spread out, how are teams going to qualify for these? Well, we already know that one will be guaranteed to go to the French Ligue 1, so we can have one more team from France. Um, and then the next position will be given to a team that performed well in the Champions League last season, but based on their league finishing, would normally have to go through a qualifying round before they got into the group stage of the Champions League. So if you cast your mind back to 2019, Ajax got to the Champions League, yet for the 2020 Champions League season, they still had to play two qualifying rounds to get into the Champions League. So they would then, in theory, that performance would guarantee them a spot under the new rules. Now this last part, I went through this with you as well, Dan. These last two spots, they're a little bit fishy, aren't they? Yeah, they're a bit um, a bit European Super League, to be honest. Uh, yeah. They don't look great. It's kind of, what is it? It's based off of coefficients, right? Yes. Um, so the two remaining spots are given to the two teams with the best club coefficient, but they finished outside of their Champions League qualifying spot. So this would be someone like Manchester United finishing 7th in the Premier League or someone like Dortmund falling outside of a Champions League qualifying spot in the Bundesliga. Now, that's a little bit of a problem, I think. Yeah, definitely, because that can you know lead to a, a situation where you're not necessarily qualifying through the, uh, into the competition because of your performance, but because of kind of your history and how big a club you are, which was probably the biggest issue I think most people had with the European Super League, was that it wasn't necessarily, you know, just the best teams. It was just the teams with the most money and most yeah. kind of history, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, this is something, in theory, you could come seventh in the Premier League, but if you're one of the uh, big six, um, you beat the second-placed Eredivisie team into the Champions League or perhaps the third-placed uh, Greek team or something like that, you know, you will qualify above them despite not performing as well in your respective league. Um, and not only that, there's always also have to consider its impact on the Europa League and the Europa Conference League, which is also going to be introduced. We have to consider is that the top five, the big five leagues have seven European competition spots. Now this traditionally would have been split four in the Champions League, two in the Europa League and one in the Conference. But if one of those seven spots is filled by, in the Premier League for example, Manchester United and it's not the top four, they go to the Champions League and then suddenly we have five in the Champions League, two in the Europa League and one no longer in the conference. don't know why I've said that so weirdly. We'd have no one in the conference. Um, so does that then run the risk of potentially making that Europa Conference League a bit of a Mickey Mouse tournament? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean... I think certain people's attitudes towards things like the Europa League 
or the new, you know, Europa Conference League are already kind of, you know, they're at the most respect for them. Um, I think certainly fans of the big top four teams don't like them. They don't like to be in them. Um, but yeah. definitely, I think if you have a situation where you could get taken out of it and put in the Champions League, then yeah, I think definitely it's going to have a lot less respect to it, uh, which for yeah. a new competition is definitely a, a worry. You know, if you're starting a new competition, you kind of need to, you know, people want to be in it from the start, um, not people being like, oh, I already want to get out of it. You know, it's a kind of a, a bad way to start. And I think yeah. that's kind of the big issue with this is, you know, I think when you look at the Champions League, it's already a great competition. You don't really need to change it. But yeah. I think if you want to fiddle with the format, you want to try a, you know, a proper league system or something like that, that's whatever. I think the issue is when you have these coefficients and places that aren't based off of sporting merit is when the issues come in or when people start to get annoyed. Because it just, you know, it becomes a, a league that just favours the big clubs, really. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, with the European Super League, there was a the talk of this financial uh, ring fencing with the league. Um, do you see much more? Uh, do you see that going on with this? Is there actually that much of a difference? Like, there's, it certainly seems to be a bit of ring posting going on, just not as obviously apparent they're, they you know they're trying to say we're ring posting without ring post, without actually saying it aren't they yeah I, I mean look this isn't as bad as the european super league but yeah. it isn't good you know it is it's definitely like a a little version of the european super league you know it it, it isn't it isn't the super league and it's not the champions league you know it's it's worse the champions league not as bad as the super league anyway it, um yeah it's just it's a problem because you have this kind of it becomes a financial kind of safety net for these big clubs you know like you said man united if they have a bad season and finish seventh suddenly they don't have to worry as much because they'll still probably end up in the champions league so yeah. they have this safety net that allows the big clubs to kind of almost not really worry about how they do in the league because they kind of know that they'll get in the champions league anyway which yeah devalues you know actually performing well in the league and yeah. it makes you know domestic competitions less exciting to watch potentially and it's just you know it's a problem because it's yeah. clearly geared towards helping the finances of these big clubs rather than just being the best most exciting uh sporting competition yeah and i mean certainly one note i've made here is this will lead and it's that man again andrea agnelli who said this um some of you will recognize his name because of his involvement in the ESL but he's referred to this as being a way to see just the top European clubs face each other more often and what do we all know that means for these clubs it means more money yeah it's all about generating TV revenue from getting the bigger clubs to play each other more often even though when everyone was talking about the Super League we all said I don't really want to watch Liverpool play Real Madrid every week it's only exciting because it's a rare experience and i yeah. think that's potentially the problem that this competition will have as well is that when the big teams are playing each other all the time it kind of loses its mystique its intrigue you know it just becomes another fixture in the yeah. you know the league um you know system it, you know it's, it's not interesting anymore it's just normal yeah i mean you know we talk about this financial ring posting yeah why some people say well why would that be ring posting surely a top four 
the top four is being broken at the moment. You know, West Ham, three points outside of it. Leicester, not considered one of the Premier League big six, but they've been you know, in and around the top four for the last couple of seasons now. Um, but that financial boost they'll get from the Champions League, which these other teams like West Ham would massively benefit off if they've got that, you know, to allow them to be a consistent competing force. Um, that stays within the big clubs. That would stay within the top six. Um, and that is, in effect, going to keep the other, you know, other teams in the league out because they can't compete financially without the European money. You know, they get some TV rights, but because they're not a big name, they don't get as many televised matches. Um, you know, we all see, how many times you see Burnley on the TV? Yeah, it's, it's you, know, you know, it's not that often. You know, definitely the big clubs always get priority, no matter what the competition is. Yeah, you know, as it stands at the moment, should we be following the Champions League? You know, this new format at the moment, Liverpool and Tottenham are in sixth and seventh. One of them could jump in this extra spot. You know, it's Tottenham at the moment. There's no way the football they've been playing deserves Champions League football, but they could still end up in it next season if they were to, if it were to already be following this new format. So, and that could be, you know, robbing a team in a different league of a position. It's madness. And of course, then the money stays within the big clubs and they stay in this Champions League realm. They're competitive enough that they can go to that without ever having to worry too much. As you said, Dan, they don't really have to worry too much about what happens in the league. As long as they finish in the top seven, they're almost guaranteed a position. Yeah, which when you look at these big clubs historically... You know, even when Manchester United and Liverpool have been really struggling, they've still been close to that kind of top seven spot, really. You know, they can still push themselves towards it. And I think, you know, it's, I think it's going to be very rare that we see a big club not involved in the European competition going forward. Once this new format uh, goes into place, I think whatever, whether it's the Europa League, Europa League Conference, Champions League, these big clubs are always going to be in it, regardless of how well they perform. Yeah, I mean, there's always the potential of a fairy tale. You know, we saw Leicester, with Leicester winning the league, that was a footballing fairy tale, and look how they're doing now. But the chances of that are going to be so much slimmer. You know, it's a footballing fairy tale that would now have to last two years. A team that's like, for example, how West Ham are doing at the moment, they've got to continue this form qualify for Europe and then can play that consistently against Europe's elite would they be able to do that unlikely I find that unlikely um, so yeah it, it's almost part of that you know Champions League magic that you see is going to be going I, I think yeah definitely I, I'd agree with that and I think again it's like it's like the European Super League issue was I mean, the format's one thing, but the issue with that was no relegation. And I think the issue with this is the coefficients. You know, like I said, you can change the format however much you want. But I think when you start introducing things that reduce the kind of competitiveness of certain leagues or other competitions, that's when you kind of run into an issue. And yeah. I, I think I think that's the biggest problem. I think if they took away the coefficient stuff, 
and you know find a different way of getting teams in i think it would be you know maybe an interesting experiment to change the format um how, how do you feel about the actual format of the competition i the, the format see there's it's i don't think it's the worst thing in the world you know as fans i think we like watching football when there's the opportunity for more football um i don't think the league the league however is fair i think it should have been and not that the group stages are particularly fair either because you might have you know be seeded against someone who's a, a similar skill level to you but but you know there's always the chance of turning out someone else over you know going up against one of these european giants and they're a bit complacent against you and you pull off a one nil win if you're if you're playing someone of a similar skill level it removes that complacency um and i'm not sure if i actually like that so i think again it, it I, st I just think it is designed as i say to just be Im implicitly ring post europe europe's elite off from everyone else i don't think that they fit in it it's not allowing for that so I'm, i just again i'm not a big fan of it yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm not a big fan either. Um, I think the Champions League is pretty good as it is. I don't think it needed any yeah. changes. Um, nice. And I think one of the issues with this one is if there was to be a shock, because um, you look you look at the like a group right now, there's, what, four teams, two qualify, and it's usually two big teams, one kind of mid-level team, and one really rubbish team. That tends to how, yeah. how, how it seems to go most of the time. And you yeah. can have it that, like you said, you can pull off a 1-0 win against Real Madrid or Liverpool or someone and you can end up with maybe that mid-level mid team getting into the knockout stages and then once you're yeah. in a knockout competition anything can happen really and it's only like what is it four games in the group stage four or five something like that um yeah and that you know shots can be pulled off across you know small number of games but I think when you increase the amount of games you've got to play to what 10 that makes yeah. it a lot harder for a small team to really pull off an upset because then yeah. you have to have that consistency of results across a longer period and squad depth as well i know that one thing we've not even touched on yet is you know in increasing just the group stage you're doubling it um how does that affect player safety you know how is that are we going to see the european powerhouses the financial powerhouses of the footballing world are they just going to start buying up more players and keeping them out of a league squad but having them in the champions league squad you know is there this potential of a almost mini franchising within teams you know oh we this is the manchester city premier league team this is the manchester city champions league team you know there's a, look at Klopp's system at liverpool some of those injuries because liverpool plays such fast football all the time some of those injuries are going to be wear and tear and i think we will see more wear and tear injuries for all teams because they're just playing more football the human even a trained athlete can only do so much before they start picking up injuries and i think this will contribute to that yeah definitely i think you know the increase of games is definitely a concern for the fitness of the players i don't think you know like you said i don't think most players can actually just play that many games in a whole season it's you know it's not really doable but also yeah. i think it's definitely geared to give the bigger teams a better chance of qualifying for the knockout stages by kind yeah. of making it you know so they'd have to you know throw away a lot more games 
you know what I mean? Like they'd have to yeah. underperform even more than they already do in the Champions League. And I think that's just geared to ensure that they have a much better chance of qualifying and makes it harder for the small teams to get through. I think that's yeah. what all the changes are really geared for. And it's why I think a lot of people are really disappointed um, with the reforms to it. Yeah, it's certainly a unneeded and unwanted change to what has been a fantastic competition for years. Um, I don't think we need to see any change to it at all, really. Um, but as always, do let us know what you think on Twitter. As we said, our Twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast, and so we hope to interact with you on that platform. So, while we've still got the fantastic Champions League format, the one we all enjoy. We are actually at the semi-final stage this week. We see uh, Real Madrid versus Chelsea and PSG versus Manchester City. Two massive games. I think this is, might be the first time that Real Madrid have played Chelsea in Europe. Um, I, I don't know about that, but um, certainly that I don't really remember that many games between the two of them. Yeah, um, and obviously PSG, who I think might well be the favourites for this, the way that Pochettino's got them playing, uh, they, you know, the way they, everyone thought that maybe the Bayern machine might steamroll them, and they they stood up pretty well versus uh, Manchester City, who again, if PSG aren't the favourites, then it's Manchester City, you know, they are looking imperious. Um, it destroyed Tottenham as we said, sitting ten points clear the at the top of the Premier League. Did go out of the FA Cup, which is a little bit of a shock. But uh, Dan, what's your take on these two fixtures? Yeah, well, I think it's you know it's two really good fixtures. You know, it's a Champions League semi final. They're always going to be pretty good. Um, but no, I think it's definitely interesting games. Um, like I said, I think from the beginning since the draws came out, I think the winner of uh, Man City PSG is probably going to win the whole thing. Uh, I think I'd be very surprised if one of them didn't win the whole tournament, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I think if we start with Chelsea versus Real Madrid, which I think should be a very close game, um, I think it's very difficult to call. But for me, I think I actually quite fancy Chelsea for it. Um, I think you know Real Madrid did really well against Liverpool, but I think in the uh, in the Liverpool's home leg, they definitely could have scored a lot of goals against Real Madrid, and it was kind of Liverpool's poor finishing that cost them. I think. Yeah. You know, watching Chelsea recently, like you said, they just knocked Man City out of the FA Cup. And I think they've kind of shown that in the one-off games under Tuchel, I think Chelsea can be really dangerous. And yeah. uh, I, I would expect them to do pretty well against Real Madrid. And again, I think it will be close, but um, I think personally, I just favoured Chelsea. And maybe it's a bit of English bias, but yeah, I think Chelsea yeah. should go through for that one. Yeah, I, I mean, Chelsea, I think, Chelsea, similarly to Liverpool, the biggest worry might be scoring goals against Real Madrid. I think every Liverpool fan, myself included, knew we were, despite the attacking talent that we have, they're not playing well at the moment. And, you know, Liverpool's defence, everyone knows about that. But, you know, I think it's slept on how poor Liverpool have been in front of goal this season. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think Chelsea's, you know, Timo Werner seems to struggle to score from anywhere that's not five yards out. Um, Havertz looks a little bit better. Um, Pulisic has been on and off. Um, I think, but Chelsea, one thing Chelsea have got is they look solid in defence, apart from when they play West Brom. Um, 
I think Chelsea really need to make sure that they are clinical up front or Real Madrid, I think, could nick one. Um, I'm tempted, based on that, though, to go with Chelsea. I think I have to agree with you. I think Chelsea, as long as they say solid, should roll over Real Madrid because I didn't think Madrid were, apart from some a masterclass in midfield by Cruz and Modric as a pair, um, I didn't think that Real Madrid were particularly good against Liverpool. Yeah, I just think, you know, if we're saying that PSG or Man City are going to be the team that wins the tournament and Chelsea just beat Man City like a week ago, I think it clearly shows that, you know, Chelsea in the one-off games can definitely do a job on the big teams. And yeah. uh, I, th- I think they've got enough in there to, to go past Real Madrid as well. Yeah, I'm... The issue, I'd say, is, is the phrase of, like, one-off. Like, I'm not sure if Chelsea have quite have the ability just yet to pull it off again. Um, you know, if they do, I think I'd almost say it'd be a case of maybe they go on to lose the final. You know, there's always, like, a catastrophe theory. They, they'll peak at the semis and then collapse in the final. Um, so, it, I'm not going to count Chelsea out. And I'd, I'd quite like to see them going through, as you say, a little bit of that English bias coming in. But yeah, I'm uh, going to back them, but I'm not too hopeful. Okay, and I guess that brings us on to uh, Manchester City versus PSG. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, I think, you know, a couple of months ago, I would have definitely said Man City. But after watching PSG against Bayern Munich, I thought they were brilliant, especially in an attacking sense. And I think, you know, they've got players like Neymar to come back in. And to be honest, I think I actually think PSG might go through against Man City. Okay, that's an interesting take. Because um, Manchester City have looked imperious. Their defence has been, for the large part, unbreakable. You know, John Stones, okay, last couple of weeks has made a couple of mistakes. Um and I think Stones is unlucky because when he makes a mistake, it always gets picked up on because he's always unlucky that he'll play really well. Then the one mistake he'll make in 10 games guaranteed at least to a goal. And it's always him. Whereas other players seem to make a mistake, like Kyle Walker gets caught out of position, but it gets covered by Stones. Or Kyle Walker manages to use his ridiculous pace to come back. Um, but otherwise, you know... That's a bit unlucky for Stones, but otherwise City have been so hard to break. You know, so tough defensively. They've got this ferocious press back in midfield that teams just cannot play out of. We saw that at Tottenham. They tried to play uh, for the League Cup final. They tried to play out the back. They couldn't do it because Man City just wouldn't let them. So they had to go long. They couldn't compete in the air. Um, And I think that PSG are going to struggle with that. I, I think that that might nullify the pace of Mbappe, the trickery of Neymar. Um, I, I, I'm backing City all the way on this one. Yeah, I mean that's understandable. I just, I just, I was really impressed by PSG when I've seen them play under Pochettino. I think Man City, as amazing as they have been, I think again, I, I don't want to mention every time, but they lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final. You know, they yeah. can be beaten, and I think. You know, you look back a couple of years ago when uh, Pochettino knocked them out with a much worse Spurs side. I think there's definitely precedent there that he could beat Guardiola with a worse team. So I think he, you know he's got better players now, and I think even if they play on the counter attack, 
and they try and just exploit uh, the, the the you know the areas behind the city defense with Mbappe and Neymar. I think there's goals there for them, and um, I don't know. I I just I've got a really good feeling about PSG. They've really surprised me this year, and yeah, I I just I expect them to do well. I, I don't think it's going to be you know a blowout for either side, but yeah, I don't know. I just got a good feeling about PSG. Well, I think on that one we are going to have to agree to disagree because you know I, I'm I think Manchester City look fantastic. I've got to say Phil Foden at the moment is playing exceptionally well. Um, everything seems to be going through him at the moment. That's uh, considering he's playing with Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, that uh, Riyad Mahrez. That's some achievement. Um, but I guess we'll have to be in contact and have a little competition on that one, Dan. Yeah, well, you know, we'll have to see. I think, you know, City's lack of a striker might cost them. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I, I yeah, I do get your point, considering that, you know, as we did say in the League Cup final, uh, without a recognised striker, maybe they did look a little lacklustre in front of goal. You know, there's a lot of chances that they didn't bury, but could we see Gabriel Jesus or Sergio Aguero back for the... Back in the lineup, perhaps. Um, but I, I, no, either way, I think it's going to be a thrilling game to watch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of thrilling games as well, we've actually got one big one this Sunday in the Premier League. It's you know traditionally the biggest game in the English football calendar. It's Manchester United taking on Liverpool. Um, uh, I think it's going to be a tough time to be a Liverpool fan. Yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't look great, does it? No, no, I really don't feel comfortable about this one. You know, after a one-one draw with Newcastle, um, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit scared. I won't lie. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been very rare that I've, I've backed my United against Liverpool over recent years, but uh, I think I have to now. And I'm not even that impressed by Man United, uh, to be honest. I think they're yeah. underperforming a little bit. Um, but you know, I think Liverpool, like you said, they've just been very poor. Uh, in recent weeks you know they're not scoring goals they seem to you know somehow even concede goals in like the last minute of games you know yeah. the, i think against newcastle it was ridiculous the, you know the way they managed to throw away the points yeah and i think the best they can maybe hope for would be a draw but um i don't think they'll even get that i think this would be you know two nil to man united yeah i'm <sighs> scared to say that you might be right um as you say united are while they they've won four of their last five and drawn one the last couple of games they haven't looked entirely convincing um they look there's a little bit of that ferocity gone um they're not quite as energetic going forward um dan james at the weekend wasn't fantastic um I think wasn't fantastic as maybe being a little bit kind to him. I mean, you kind of wonder why he's starting there when, you know, they've just got much better players that they could play in this position. You know, it's, it's yeah. just strange to me that he gets into the team. Yeah. Um, you know, Donny van der Beek, I'd even play him out wide. Okay, he's not got the pace, but he's actually a good footballer. Like, <laughs> play, yeah. play him, play him. Yeah, well, I think the treatment of Donny van der Beek has been ridiculous this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think we could do a whole a whole episode on the treatment of Donny Van der Beek. Um, it has been frankly ridiculous. Yeah, no. But um, what do you think the score is going to be though between Liverpool and Man United? <laughs> oh, I I can see United weaseling a one nil on this. Um, 
you know, Liverpool just don't seem to be able to hit the target at the moment. Um, and it's not the impervious defence that we had in the title-winning season. Um, it it can get broken um, quite easily. Um, so yeah, I think United. I'm expecting a one-nil for United on this one. Yeah, well, like I said, I said two-nil, but um, I think it'll be one of those two. I don't think it's going to be a goal fest. No, I think you know it would be unlikely that Liverpool will play warily. You know, they're they're always going to go out and attack, but I think you know Manchester United are going to be comp- try to be compact at the back. They've got you know Luke Shaw and Wan Bissaka as the fullbacks, who are probably two of the best fullbacks in the league right now, and especially in terms of defensive output. In Wan Bissaka's case, um, yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I'm concerned about this one, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, no, this would be a, <laughs> a a bad end of the season, wouldn't it, for Liverpool? If they lose to United as well yeah. as not getting in the top four. Yeah, I mean, this would almost certainly see, you know, a win would take Liverpool onto 57 points and jump into fifth. For United, it helps them close a 10-point gap on Manchester City. Um, but it, the win would be so important for Liverpool. Like, it's so important, that, you know, to finish in a European position, uh, being four-point outside of the Champions League spots at the moment we, we really need really need to finish there this season just to even say this is an okay season we need to finish there and this to have it be a game against United of all, of all teams that could end that European fight would be um, heartbreaking yeah no it would not be uh, ideal for Liverpool if they lost this game no no but that is something of course we'll have to wait see and find out plenty of football to watch over the week um and we do hope you've enjoyed this episode of the armchair managers podcast and as always hope you keep yourself safe and we'll speak to you next time